Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, good to be with you. Hope you're having a a good day today. Today is um, a little bit of a special day for me. Uh, Many of you may not know, some of you probably do know, but a year ago today I was in a a bicycle accident that um, really could have changed my life forever. And uh, so I'm very grateful to be here today and and, uh, not have any issues with concussion. You know, I, I experienced uh, through that uh, God's mercies in abundance, and, and so much of that came through so many of you. And I, I'm very grateful for uh, all the way that all the ways that you allowed God to work through you on my behalf and on behalf of my family too. And and uh, so I'd like to begin today with prayer and uh, and just thank Him for all the mercies that He gives to us. So if you'll if you'll bow with me, uh, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for you. We're thankful for the ways that you care for us, that you protect us, uh, that you allow us to come together in community and have friendships that uh, are able to, to, Lord, to glorify you. And so, God, we pray this morning that as we open up your word, that you would speak to us, that you would... Um, be gentle with us and, and, and help us to see uh, the calling that you are bringing to our lives. We pray for transformation this morning, transformation of our minds and our hearts. And Lord, that we might be unified as a body of believers. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, so recently, I was on a, a trip to Cleveland with a great group of students. We were there doing a mission trip, uh, working with some other churches. And, and um, on Wednesday night of that trip, we had a guest speaker come in, and he was one of the pastors from one of the other churches that we were working with. And, and uh, he was sharing his story of faith, and it was a radical story, one of those testimonies that when you hear it, you think, man, I wish that could be my story, right? You know, so many people would be compelled to listen to me, this engaging conversion story uh, that he had. There were car chases and there were fist fights and drug overdoses and all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff in it. And, and listening to him, it was, it was a lot like watching a, a Quentin Tarantino movie in a way. It was, it was exciting, you know. And uh, now I don't know about you, but uh, when I was younger, uh, and I was growing up in the church, I would have these folks who would, um, they would come to the churches on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, and they would share their testimony, and they would typically be very exciting, like this gentleman's was, and and um, just really gnarly stories, like full of grit, and, uh, you know, some gang violence, and drugs, and alcohol abuse, and all kinds of thoughts, and, 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 and for me, I would think one of two things. One, it's amazing that God brought this person uh, into this place, and used him like he's using him. And second, that, man, it would be so cool if I could share some kind of a story like that, that might, you know, help other people in their story of faith. And while I was in Cleveland, uh, listening to this gentleman, the the Lord was planting a seed of thought into my heart. You see, uh, I don't remember exactly what he talked about that night. I don't remember what his point was, but the Lord was challenging me, um, to, 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 in a new thought. I heard the Lord speak to me about something that that was very important. 
And um, I know that every person in this room has a very different story, and they're all very important. And some are intense, and some are a little bit more like mine. They're not that intense, um, and maybe not as interesting to listen to. But what God was telling me is that, that he can use all of our stories and experiences for God's glory. To, to build up the church. And in fact, what the Lord was telling me that night in Cleveland was to let go of this desire for some kind of a radical uh, conversion story. I, I'm never going to have that. Like I said before, I was, I was raised in the church. Uh, I came to faith, and, and I'm not joking here. Um, I came to faith while watching my kindergarten Sunday school teacher explain the gospel of Jesus while using a flannel graph. Okay, someone else knows what that is. Probably the the most boring way to learn about Jesus, maybe. And, uh, you know, there's no fist fights. There's no gun chase or, you know, gunfights or anything like that. It's it's the fuzziest way to learn about Jesus. It's it's a puppet show is really what it is. But the Lord was telling me, let go of your need for a dramatic story. It's time to start living a radical Christian life. So today as we continue our series through the letter of Romans, we're focusing our time in Romans 12. And so I encourage you to open your Bibles. I encourage you to open your Bibles up to Romans 12. It's an explanation of how to live a radical Christian life. So now this is a, a, a very popular story, chapter in the Bible. Can someone do something about that, please? <laughs> just, hey, Natalie, just unplug the whole thing. Um, okay, so, so this, this chapter in Romans is a very ch- uh, a popular uh, chapter in the Bible. Many have studied this text over and over. Uh, there have been multiple studies that have been written about this for churches over the years. In fact, about 10 years ago, as a church, we did a whole study uh, called R12, where we, we talked for six weeks about this chapter alone. And, and, and I know some of you were here for that. Um, now, what this means for us is that we should be listening today with fresh ears for new insights, seeking God's wisdom here in this moment. Let's not rely on what we may have heard or understood uh, previously or what someone else has told us, but let's focus today on what God has for us in this chapter, this really powerful, amazing chapter. Now, um, if this is the first time that you're hearing this text, oh man, it's awesome. It's so good. This is a powerful piece of scripture, and I encourage you just to soak it up today. And, and I think that because this text is so full of truth that instead of just reading parts of it, I want to read the full text today. Uh, and we don't do this very often, but uh, I think there's so much for us to process in this that, that we should probably do this. So if you're going to open your Bibles to Romans 12, I encourage you to do that. We're going to begin in verse 1. The words are on the screen, so you can read, read them there as well. So while you're turning there, there's a couple of things that I want you to note about this text before we begin. The first 11 chapters of Romans have been heavy in theology. A lot of of teaching and study and and, and head knowledge that we've talked about. And and here in the 12th chapter, there's this noticeable turn that Paul is taking to shift toward practicality. This is the section of Paul's letter where he says, all of those things that we've just talked about, are the framework of, of how God has established order. These are the ways that he has been merciful to you, um, even in the midst of your sin. All of these ways are, 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 are ways that you can notice that he wants to reach you and, and reconnect with you. 
Um, this is all of his majesty and wonder. But now it's time for you who are followers of Jesus to recognize all of what he's done for you and learn how to live your life in obedience because you recognize how good and worthy Jesus is, how good and worthy God is. So this is the moment when deeply spiritual things become deeply practical things in Romans 12. So we're going to read this together, this shift toward practicality. Uh, Beginning in verse 1, Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment and according with the faith that God has uh, distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all of the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, and honor one another above yourselves. Never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, and live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil, and be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I just want to take just a moment and let that those words just sit with us. Okay, let's take some time to unpack the text of chapter 12. It, 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 this seems to be broken into, into three different sections. 
Uh, the first uh, two verses begin uh, with action statements and, um, of this chapter, and they're required for us to live out the rest of the calls to action that Paul is making here. And the next six verses then focus on how we as followers of Jesus work out this transformation of the mind. And this section is absolutely critical. And for those of us, all of us, who are, who are living in this new pandemic era of the church, this the implications that are a part of this may be significant, and we need to consider um, what it looks like uh, to live with other people uh, in our church. And then the final section is a list of extremely practical statements, some of which are directly quoted from Jesus. And I'm not going to deal with much of that today, but please, I encourage you to take time uh, to, to read over them later on this week and, uh, because there are very specific ways that, that we can uh, be successful in the messiness of living in a relational church and, and living out a relational faith. See, at Quest, we, we are a church that, that we hold relationships very high. You see it on the door when you come in. And, and this final section of Romans 12, this is really a, a pathway for success. And honestly, I, in my opinion, this should be our metrics for how we are doing as a congregation. Are we living up to these things that Paul has laid out in Romans 12? So let's, let's start with the first two verses here. Paul begins with an appeal. Now, now this, is, this is an action step, but he is urging us. The implication here is that Paul understands all of what he is about to teach is something that the follower of Jesus has to choose. It can't be forced on them. They have to uh, allow it to be a part of who they are. So Paul is persuading the church of Rome to an ethic, a moral ethic that begins with sacrifice. As followers of Jesus, we are called to live a selfless life. And, and much of this is in opposition to our culture today, right? So, so too, this was also true in the Greco-Roman culture, which was filled with individual hubris everywhere. And the imagery then of sacrifice is about the metaphorical posture of the Christian. Christ was a servant. He was humble. He gave his life. And so, too, should we be. Uh, not standing proud like a superhero, right? Or, or sitting back in our, our boardroom chair looking down our nose at the people around us, but instead fully submitted to what Christ is calling us to. This is a call to offer ourselves up to God and to God's purpose. This is our ultimate act of worship. Worship, by the way, should be defined for us because it's, it's equated to ethics and behavior. Worship is, and, and I'm going to quote one of my seminary professors, Dr. Ben Witherington. He says that worship is where the creature recognizes that he or she is a creature and God is creator. It's an act of submission or ordering oneself under the divine. It is also, by implication, a denial of one's own divinity, a denial that one is Lord of one's own life. It's a heavy statement. And sometimes we take for granted the moments that we have together here on Sunday morning. You know, we may blast through them. We may want to be someplace else. We, we may think about uh, something else that's going on. But these moments that we have here, 9.15 in the morning, 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, these moments that we have to worship, and I, and I believe doing this in community is incredibly important, um, and you're going to hear why in a moment. But these moments are critical for us as followers of Jesus. They help us orient our lives around the ethic of Jesus and and around our purpose in Jesus and and our position in Jesus. Believe it or not, 
It doesn't take very much time for us to slip back into a secular worldview. I mean, after all, it's easy to live in a world that's driven by consumption rather than sacrifice. Did you know, and I I did a study on this this week real quickly, um, did you know that that companies around the world, and particularly though in our nation, they invest billions of dollars every year to persuade us to consume something, to persuade us to focus on what our individual needs are. According to a very simple Google search, it was calculated that the total advertising expenditure in North America in 2020 amounted to 249.8 billion U.S. dollars. Now, this is in a year where coronavirus uh, had an impact on the industry. The spending for advertisement actually decreased by 1.4% in 2020. However, it's expected to rebound to $282.8 billion by the end of 2021. Everywhere we look, there is an advertisement compelling us to buy a product to improve our lives. You've seen them. I mean, just simply mention something to a friend near your phone, and in your Facebook feed pretty soon, you're going to see that advertisement, right? I mean, it, it happened to me just this week. I was talking to Ross about something, and the next thing I know, there's an advertisement for what we were talking about. True story. It really scares me. Right? The point is, it's easy to slip back into a lifestyle or a worldview of consumption rather than self-sacrifice. This is why Paul urges us to be transformed from the worldly way to a heavenly way that recognizes that all things, um, that recognizes all the things that are righteous, that are good, that are pleasing, that are perfect to God. So we can focus on those things. This process of transformation is something that occurs over time. It's a continual, according to the language of Paul, that he uses. It's often not immediate. Uh, uh, And I I think this is the reason that Paul moves to the next section of Scripture that we find in verses uh, 3 through 8. So so we're not alone in this process. This is the good news for us. We should not consider the process of transformation something that we do alone. In verse 3, Paul highlights the key point for the next six verses. And he uses these words, sober judgment, right? Humility. In other words, Paul is saying that when we begin the process of transformation, we should do so with sober judgment of how God has gifted us, how he's created us, and how he directs us. Meanwhile, we have to be disengaging from the hold that the secular worldview has on us. This is a two-part process that's best done in community with humility. N.T. Wright has summed up these three verses this way. Offer God the true worship. Be transformed by having your minds renewed because you should be thinking as one people in the Messiah. Wright is saying, Paul's ethic is not for people to live out in isolation. It's not something where that's even a possibility. The ethic of Paul, the ethic of Jesus Christ is something that is formed in community with one another. Believers, one people. 
It, it could even be said that the actions of a believer may come from the recommendations of other believers who have a greater understanding or a wisdom that they can offer us. See, Paul wrote this letter to a group of people that had a problem with pride. And, and I think it's evident that we live in a culture with many of the same issues. I mean, how many times do we have to listen to someone explain the, the, why the way that they think is superior to someone else's way of thinking? You know, without being overly specific, the amount of disinformation that exists around us is a direct result of people's overconfidence in their opinion. Right? How, how many, how many, how often do non-medical practitioners give medical advice over Facebook? Right? It's everywhere. We hear it all the time. How often do we hear moral arguments from people who lack critical ethical judgment or who live morally reprehensible lives? People are trying to coach us all the time, but it's not godly coaching. See, I'm currently listening to an intriguing podcast right now that examines the state of the church and its fascination with narcissistic leaders. It calls into question this very thing. Hubris is antithetical to the Christian community, and ultimately it stagnates Christ-like transformation. Followers of Jesus are called to a life of submission to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Submission is the beginning of humility, and humility creates a sober assessment of ourselves that's open to correction and allows transformation of the mind. Then in the next few verses, Paul outlines how this, how every person in the church has a role to play in this transformation of each individual. And this is a layered text, and it's full of important teaching, but I want to focus our attention to his language around the body of Christ. This is a familiar image that we find throughout the, the Bible. You know, Jesus used it. Paul's used it in multiple locations. And in the ancient world, it was a, it was a common analogy. Paul wanted his readers to differentiate themselves from the way the world understood their place in community. In fact, it was a common understanding for the Roman people who were part of, that they were a part of the emperor's body. Okay, uh, His constituents were a part of him. And so when Paul brings up this language of the body of Christ, or when Jesus brings up this language of, of the body of Christ, this is something that could easily land Paul in jail and cost him his life, which it ultimately does. This is the same language that Jesus used over the Passover meal, that, that we are joined with Christ's body when we receive communion. Everyone who believes in Christ becomes a part of Christ, which deepens the idea that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice in the same way that even Jesus did. Therefore, we are connected through Christ to all believers because all believers are a part of Christ. This is the universal church, right? This is each local church with a specific expression of the church universal. And here's a side note. Um, when we re recite the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, and they mention the Holy Catholic Church, they're referencing the church universal, not the actual Roman Catholic Church. Um, so there's no need to be offended by any of that language if we, if we ever recite those creeds in here. Um, these are beautifully written orthodoxies meant to unite the body of believers together. Of significant importance also is that while Paul may be referencing the universal church as the body of Christ, it does not seem possible that he would consider that any one individual believer could walk through this process of transforming their mind without a local expression of the universal church. Regardless of how our Western minds think, 
and how we may want to be individualistic. This was never a thought that Paul would have considered. That a person who's following Jesus doesn't attend a local congregation. Spiritual growth and transformation takes place in community. This is the model presented from the beginning in the Trinity and also, too, when Paul was teaching Romans. No matter what our preferences are, spiritual growth happens in community. And I know, I know many people who would prefer to keep their noses in books about Jesus and consider their church uh, the spiritual fathers of long ago, but this is not what, um, how we are actually formed. I know others who would like to listen to podcasts about faith or simply go to church online. And without genuine interaction from other believers, conversations, and deep, hard truth, there is no way authentic transformation can take place without a community of believers. Transformation happens as we walk together with other believers that have relationship with us. Not in anonymity, all believers are called to live their faith in the context of the local church. And we do this by connecting with a particular local church. And we participate in the activities of that local church. And we serve the body of that local church. And I, I've been incredibly blessed uh, by Quest to see the commitment of our congregation, of all of you, um, uh, engaging with these principles. So please don't hear me using this text as a big stick to, to whack you upside the head. Most of us in this room are living this out in really powerful ways, and I am blessed by it. But, but rather, I, I want to spend time here because many of us experience a desire to withdraw from community as a way to protect or insulate from the challenge of transformation. Transformation is hard, it's difficult, it's painful sometimes. Sometimes we want to withdraw as a result. And, and, and in light of all the things that are going on with the pandemic, that may also make us want to withdraw. And it might make sense for us to go back to church online, but we have to be intentional, if that's the case, about staying connected with one, of, one another in this local body. See, this is truly what radical living looks like. We surrendered to God and to his process, allowing the word of God and the body of Christ to speak into the areas of our lives that need the most transformation. We cannot fully experience the renewing of our mind without the active help of other believers. It's vital for us to have an open dialogue from other believers who are, who are reading the same scriptures that we are, who are praying the same prayers that we are, who are challenging us with the same things that we are dealing with. We need to listen to the wisdom of other believers as they point out the blind spots in our lives. And we need to take a posture of humility as we listen to those rebukes and begin to discern if they're from the Lord. So this is not something that, that can happen through a computer screen. It's very difficult. We are fortunate in 2021 to have technology that can connect us over a significant dis distance, but there's a limitation to that technology. It creates a barrier that allows us to hide in some ways. And we need to be very intentional uh, to have meaningful conversations when we're in that place. We need the present face-to-face -face connection of other believers that comes through small group uh, settings or in positions of leadership and volunteering. And, 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 and even in those uh, settings, we have to be intentional about our vulnerability and openness to how the Lord may use those relationships to shape us. 
speaking of volunteering and using our gifts, there will be moments of uh, pressure and discomfort. This might be one of the most challenging parts of this text. And I'd like to quote a theologian uh, that I was reading for this. His name is uh, Douglas J. Moo. He's a professor at Wheaton Graduate School. And I'm quoting him uh, because uh, if, if you feel conviction in your, in your spirit, you can either blame him or you can blame the Holy Spirit. And I'm off the hook. And so I'm going to quote him for a second. So um, he says this, Douglas J. Moo, Dr. Moo, says, I must participate in the local church to help others grow. Whatever gift I've been given, I'm under obligation to my Lord to use it to serve his people. The gift need not always, of course, be expressed only in a local church. This much can certainly be said, though. The gifts God has given us are generally to be exercised in local churches. Other Christians need what each of us has to offer. As the human body is at a disadvantage without a foot or an eye or a kidney, so the local church is harmed when the full collection of gifts are not being exercised within it. This means that when any of us that are a part of this body withhold our gifts, we are limiting the work of the Holy Spirit within our church. Therefore, we have to show up. We have to use our gifts when we are here. This is our obligation as followers of Jesus, not only to God, but to the body of Christ. Like I said, I, I know that, that many of you are doing that, and, and, or you're, maybe you're not doing it, but you're willing to, but you don't know how to begin using your gifts, or maybe you don't even know what your gifts are. And, and um, so I, I want to give you some encouragements this morning. Number one, if you see someone doing something that you know that you could also do, go to them and ask them, hey, how can I get involved in this same way? And they'll direct you to someone who will get you involved, able to use your gifts. More than likely, if you're not using your gifts, it's because you may not know how you're gifted. And if that's the case, then I want to encourage you in two very specific ways today. First of all, ask the Lord to reveal to you what your gifts are and how you can use them. In fact, in this service today, if you felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit to pursue a radical life of faith and service in the local church, but you don't know how to sort that out, then I want to invite you to come down to me. I'm going to be right over here in a moment. I want to invite you to come down to me during our last song of worship and let me pray for you. Let me pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what gifts you have, the the gifts that God is giving you so that you can see your path forward in using your gifts for the local church. And secondly, uh, there are many different ways to inventory uh, your own spiritual gifts, whether it's online or through a book, etc. Take a test. There's, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, none of those are truly exhaustive. None of them are perfect, uh, but they are helpful. They can help point you in the direction that you may want to go. And I actually have a printed copy, copy of um, a spiritual gift inventory assessment type of thing. So if you'd like to take one of those home with you today, uh, come find me after the service. Like I said, I'll be right over here. And, and you can take one of those home. It's really easy. It's just a simple thousand question uh, questionnaire. I'm just kidding. It's not. Uh, it's, I think it's only like maybe 30 or 40 questions. But it'll help you see some of those gifts, what they are, and, and you'll discover um, by taking that, like these are things that I like to do, and so I could use this in the church. 
And if you take that survey, then I encourage you to make an appointment with either me or with Ross um, and and share your results with us and and allow us uh, to help you see how you can use your gifts for our church's body's growth and transformation. And I will even buy lunch during that meeting. We won't force you to do that um, unless your gift is generosity and then you can buy us lunch and that's okay. We're good with that. Um, (laughs) And, and, and then one other thing, and this is kind of a bonus. Um, if you're not in a small group, find a way to get into a small group. Find a group of believers that you can be known and where you can know others, where, where you can challenge others and be challenged by them. We all might need to find a smaller community within this body of believers that we are part of. This past week, I was talking with a friend um, who, who we have a, a regular conversation about life stuff. And I was challenging this friend to share some of his stuff with his small group. And uh, he was reluctant to do it, and, uh, but he did it anyway. He shared that with the group. And what he found out, one, was that they were there to support him, to care for him, and, and to encourage him. And two, that many of those other people in the small group were, were dealing with the same thing that he was dealing with. And he found immediate community and immediate support in that. As believers, that's what we need. We need to, be, uh, we need to have a place where we can be vulnerable with one another, where we can be challenged by others, where we can be encouraged and where we can be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Imagine what our lives could be like if we're willing to get vulnerable with the people in our church. And in being vulnerable, then the Lord was able to restore an entire small group that was dealing with uh, similar ideas. I've been reading a book by Lauren Cunningham called Is That Really You, God? And he talks about how he wants to see waves and waves and waves of people sharing the love of Christ all over the world. That was his vision. And as I was preparing this message, I kept seeing small group after small group after small group of people who were being transformed into the radical life that God is calling us to. And I kept thinking, wow, how quickly our church can change if we were all intentional about this. Let's live humbly. Let's live vulnerably. Let's encourage one another. And let's do it in the, in the name of Jesus so that we can not only transform our church, not only transform our own lives, but begin to transform the world outside of this place. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have modeled a life that is a part of community with one another. In the Trinity, we see your deference, your humility with one another. The Father loving the Son, the Son promising the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit counseling all of you working together. And Lord, I pray that that model that we see in the Trinity, we might be able to live out here as a body of believers. Each of us vulnerable, each of us humble, each of us receiving correction, each of us using our gifts that you have given to us to build up the body, to make it a a robust version of you, Christ. So come, I pray, stir in our hearts, 
that we might be united together as one body, one people, with one common purpose, and that is to be like Christ. Stir in our hearts, challenge our thinking. Draw us to one another, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. And remember, if, if there was a, a nudge in your spirit today, because you're not sure how God wants to use you or what your gifts are, come down to me right here. I'm gonna, I'll spend some time during this last song of worship praying for you, helping you to see um, what that is, asking God to reveal to you your gifts, your calling, your way to serve. Thank you, church. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.